0: what's up nerds welcome to the nerds who live podcast i'm your host nicholas anderson thanks again for tuning in with us for episode four uh, really excited today. Our guest is Angelo Fortino, an awesome lifter out of Chicago, Illinois, and also a fellow podcast host. He has an awesome podcast, one of my favorites, Two White Lights. They talk about everything from powerlifting as a sport and lifting and you know, pretty much everything in between, and it's been one of my favorite shows to really tune into. So I'm excited to have Angelo on because I think he's a great lifter in When it comes to technique, he's very unique in his approach. He has uh, excellent command of his leverages. And so that's something you're going to pick his brain about, about finding your leverages within the proper technique. And on top of that, he runs Lane Norton's PH3 program. And for those listeners who have heard episode one, PH3 was one of the programs that I suggested for intermediate slash intermediate novice lifters. uh, That's a great program template to follow if you can't afford a coach just yet, or perhaps you don't have the money for that. So it'd be a really good way to do that. Angelo's been running PH3 for quite some time, knows it very well. So we're gonna get a nice breakdown and review from him and how perhaps what he suggests for a new lifter, how to apply it and how an intermediate lifter could apply it as well. So it should be a great time. Uh, So again, you should give him a follow on Instagram if you don't already. His Instagram is at 14opower one four zero sorry one four oh underscore power because his last name is fortino so so before we get him on i want to give a shout out to our sponsors as always viking performance chalk you guys are the best you guys haven't got it or tried their stuff just know their chalk as minuscule as that is is some of the densest stickiest chalk out there it's tacky it's not dusty uh it's a simple thing but we all use it it's really important so if you haven't tried it, get some. And then of course, Calvert illustrations for our killer logo. He's also been helping me kind of iron out the final design for the T-shirts, which we did, and it looks sick. So getting those quoted uh, and hopefully bring them to you guys soon. So again, thank you for tuning in, and let's get Angelo on. What's going on, dude? Hey, how you doing, man?
1: Pretty good. How about yourself?
0: Doing well, thanks. I appreciate you taking the time.
1: No problem, dude
0: thanks well, how's your day going so far
1: uh it's pretty boring but what are yeah. you gonna do yeah it's a friday so that's a good thing
0: yeah that's right and then you're a teacher right yeah yeah so i've got a lot of free time nice are you on summer break yet
1: yeah summer nice. break uh we're we're deep into summer break right now like a month in so
0: oh nice yeah awesome well, you know, thank you again, like I said, for being on the show, and um, I already kind of did the intro, and I mentioned that you have your own podcast, which is I know, one of my favorites, The Two White Lights, but, it, you know, the, how it goes, the whole origins of, you know, who you are, how you got started lifting, and okay. uh, all that good stuff. All right, sweet. So, are we recording right yeah. now? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I already got it going. <laughs> okay. <All laughs> Sorry, I buddy. I to
1: give a count off, but, yeah, thanks
0: for having me, man. Yeah. excited
1: to be on set so it to actually be interviewed.
0: Yeah. I was going to so ask actually, you technically
1: my first time being interviewed.
0: So really awesome. I was okay. going to ask you that if you have like, you're always doing the interviewing and I've been listening to you for about, um, I mean, I have to go back a few months, but, uh, I started seriously powerlifting a little more than a year ago. Um, okay. so, and then I found your guys' show and like you, from your account shortly thereafter. So, okay, cool. so yeah, I didn't know if you had done any yet. So Yeah.
2: Yeah, I guess the only
1: one was like kind of a mock interview for a radio show just to kind of get me uh, acclimated to being on air because we were live for a really long time. But it's good to be on the other side of it for once.
0: Yeah, well, I thought it'd be good um, because I, you know, and and in my little intro, I mentioned that I think that you're very technical. Uh, That's one thing that kind of like when I started following you was I really liked watching you lift. Um, but also you're, you had a good command of your leverages, you know how to adjust technique to fit your body, but still maintain good technique. Um, and I really like that. And, I, and I'm really kind of a lanky giraffe person. So I've had to, you know, try to find the right, uh, right form that fits my leverages, but yet still have good technique. And I think you did that well and just still do that well. And so I thought it'd be cool to have you on to kind of Obviously, that'd be one thing. One thing to kind of talk about and share with people who are getting started, which was kind of the the formation of me doing the show was a resource for new lifters and people getting mm-hmm. into it. So, so yeah, I thought it'd be a really good that you just kind of be a good person on that to kind of take point on that. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. Uh, yeah,
1: technique is something I've always tried to work on ever since i just started powerlifting when i was in high school i was told at that age that i had a pretty good technique as well but um it had to get a lot better throughout that high school years and into actually seriously competing so uh yeah i try some people would say my technique is very strange and awkward but it's something that works for me so
0: yeah i mean exactly I mean, I think awkward is the fact that it just, it works for you. And yeah, it would be awkward for, you know, for me, maybe I'm about six foot and like all legs, but I mean, but you you still maintain great form and you know, your numbers are always can seem to steadily always be going up and you stay consistent in training. And so that's the way it should be. And uh, I was always taught also like with technique is like there have your base principles, you know, your columns of whatever make that technique. Then after that, it's, finding within that technique what suits you you know okay and uh, and so that's always what i saw I'm like oh that's somebody who who can you know even with you deadlifting with your squat shoes like works who cares mm-hmm. you know it's about what you know what works within the parameters of good technique yeah i think joe Sullivan, uh when i met him
1: at brick house um kind of on a whim i think he said to me he's like you do everything i would tell someone not to do you have the most wonky deadlift I've ever seen in my life, but you maintain proper technique the entire time through. So I can't really even critique you on it. I was like, yeah. that was one of the nicest compliments I've ever heard of my life.
0: Especially from I'm Joe. From yeah. Especially yeah. from Joe Sullivan, who is, you know, who is, you know, a notoriously like a stickler for that yeah. stuff. And he, it always seems to say what he, what he means. Um, yeah. Incredibly honest. Yeah. And, and he seems like a really nice guy. So he's honest, but he also, he like, you know, he's, says what he feels Yeah, Um, one of my
1: favorite people in powerlifting is joe
0: sullivan right now so um yeah definitely
1: top three chest base he could he could not lift a weight in his life and he probably one of my favorites so
0: yeah uh, i i agree i love listening to him talk and i think he just has a great mind and just he kind of has i haven't met him in person yet but you know any mutual friends that i have or anything he just seems just to be a hell of a person uh, so, I, I hope to, lift, to lift, lift around, at least even around him one day to be cool and to pick his brain. Well, if you're so. in Columbus, the guy is super open for people kind of either talking to him or um, if you're at, like,
1: he trains a lot of 614 barbell. Yeah. Uh, yeah he's, I mean, actually, most power lifters are, no matter how big the name is. If you're world class, if you're, uh, you know, just getting your start. Most powerlifters are pretty open to train with you, unless you're one of those Westside Barbell
2: kind of guys, Yeah, they're pretty <laughs> inclusive in their training, um, and are just completely
1: isolating themselves from society or the powerlifting society, but everyone else aside from them are pretty open on training with just about anyone they uh, come in contact with.
0: Yeah, that's what I found. That's what I liked about the sport once I kind of became ingratiated and introduced to it, was that everybody just liked to see you get stronger. They liked, you know, um, you know, somebody going for, you know, for something, a hard lift for them is there. That's hard for them is gets the same respect as the other guy who maybe is doing quite a bit more, but you know, you all do that together and I've had nothing but positive experiences and made such good friendships out of it. And uh, that's what's kept me in it and wanting to do it more was honestly, that was the community behind it. And then after that, the sport was also fun. So, I think that's pretty cool. And I, I've been to Brickhouse. I went to Chicago in October, and I had to stop by, and, you know, I really wanted to, like, get a workout in. And, of course, it was and you know, it was Brickhouse. And I was like, cool, I know that name. I want to go train there. And I did, and everybody was awesome. Yeah. It's not game. really a powerlifting gym. Brickhouse is kind of a hybrid between that powerlifting, bodybuilding gym. But yeah. at the same t- there's enough people there,
1: and to always help you throughout a workout. It's the same thing with Surge, it's the M I at now. If you come in at Surge, most people there will never see you before in their lives, but they will help you through a workout.
0: Yep. I um so when I was in Octo when I was there in October it was for a workshop at Surge. And the uh-huh. day before I worked at a brick house, then the day of okay. the workshop we went we were at Surge and I got to squat with Sergio um, you know, or you know, switch to switch off with him and it was it was great to yeah. They were, everyone was awesome it was great to train there um yeah I, I liked both of those gyms immensely so that was cool so you started you started lifting in high school and then uh you started competing um how long after that
1: so i was i think 16 years old in high school when i first started seriously lifting weights that was to
2: improve in high school football uh, i was a I mean, I'm still technically a really tiny
1: person, and I was even smaller in high school where I had to play defensive line. Um, So I had to really put on size and get stronger, and uh, shout out to Lamont High School, because they have one of the better, like, novice strength training programs in Illinois for uh, high schoolers. So I had to start off there, and then I, once I graduated, I still kind of wanted to lift weights. I always kind of liked doing it, and I was good at it in high school, so I kind of built that regimen. Um... But I was doing mostly bodybuilding stuff with the compound movements mixed in up until I was about twenty-three years old. And then once I was twenty-three, my buddy, uh, who actually went to Lamont High School, told me to do a powerlifting meet with him. And I think it was five or six weeks before the meet where I actually signed up. And since uh, since then, I've been competing in powerlifting.
0: Nice. Um, and then what did what did you what did you hit on your first meet? Um, I think my very
1: first meet was Summer Bash, and yeah, it was APF Summer Bash at Park Forest, Illinois, and in the 181 weight class. I think I weighed in like 172. Uh, I was super light. I on squat was 485,
2: bench like 310. Could be wrong on that. And deadlift was 611.
1: So it was a nine-for-nine, nine, actually, really good meat for me, because yeah. um, a lot of people have the story of their power, first powerlifting meet being brutal and just, you know, not, not understanding what to do. I still didn't know what I was doing, but I always had a really strong base, and I had actually a really good start in powerlifting.
0: Yeah, you really did. I mean, you... You're squatting in the high fours. You're already benching in the threes and then pulling in the sixes at that point. Just to start is a good, it's a good start.
1: Yeah. I think my start off was like four forty Wilkes. So
0: yeah. With that, yeah. Which is great. I mean, I wish um, I'm, I'm working on it <laughs> myself. I, I mean, I, I started, I learned how to lift. at 21 is when I first started learning how to lift. I'm 29 now. Um, mm-hmm. I did martial arts first and then, um, I did, I did that since I was five and then about 19 and 20, you know, when you get into that older bracket, I was, I was pretty good. I was fast, but I was 145 pounds, 148, you know, I'd fluctuate wet. And so I would, I'd, you know, be in the open weight classes that much higher and older guys. And I'd hit them. They didn't, they didn't budge. They'd be, there stacked. And then no matter how fast I was, didn't matter. They would just <clears throat> knock me around. So I was like, okay, I gotta get bigger. And so that's when I started lifting. Um, but, again, I mean, I lifted and I put on some size, but I didn't. I wish I would have found powerlifting as a sport then um, and started then. But, I mean, I didn't really find it until just a little over a year ago and, you know, started taking that in that serious route. So I wish I would have found it earlier. <laughs> but eh. well, what a lot of people don't know, because I
1: tell them I had a really good meet to start off, and that was my very first meet, and it was a good meet. Um, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to be humble about it, yeah, or, it or at least like try to be humble about it. It was a good meat, and a lot of people will like that type of meat. But what they don't know is I was lifting weights for eight years before that. Yeah. I, had, I knew what 430 pounds felt like on my back when I was 15, 16 years old. Like I was squatting in the mid-fours already at that age. I just stopped lifting heavy after high school.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, then I started getting more, and I still lifted technically heavy. I just didn't do the whole progressive overload kind of
3: thing. Yeah. yeah. I would still do my squat bench and deadlift, and I would just do a static weight just to put on muscle, because that's what I worried about. But I think Stephanie Bowen made this post a while ago, was people? what people don't see is the years and years and years of progressive overload they made before their Instagram page, yeah. before they started competing. And that was me. I mean... Yeah, 16 years old, my numbers were, like, you know, squat was 430. That was my best
2: lift. I hit 430, I think, for two. Um, and the deadlift, same thing, was, like, 450 for two. And that bench press was, like, 250. And it was, you know, I just got my driver's license when I was doing that. Yeah. So it was – it wasn't me like, oh, I just dropped into powerlifting and I was, oh, already, have, you know, a nice 1,500-pound total. No, yeah. it didn't work that way. It was years and years of progressive overload.
0: Yeah, and, and like you said, I think the Midwest does it really well where they really have, uh, I think, a lot of better strength training like programs. Like, I remember my – what turned me off from, like, lifting weights originally when I was in high school was my sophomore year being put into the weight room – and I had PE. A lot of them, you know, obviously the football coach, and then a lot of the football players. They knew kind of what to do, and they were just like, "Here, we'll show you what to do. And here's like a sheet, and here's your reps and sets. Like really no introduction. And um, you know, just uh, don't hurt yourself. And like that was it. And I and I and I did. Like I remember he the coach, the PE coach, wanted me to do power cleans and then squat for like superset. And I was like, uh, you know, I didn't – so it was a horrible first experience in, like, a lifting gym. And that turned me off, obviously, from I – I was 16 at that time. So from 16 to 21, I didn't – you know, I really didn't, met, you know, fuck with it until then. Um, but I think – and that was in Idaho at the time. I didn't live in California at the time. I lived in Idaho for a short stint, and that's when that happened. And, But most of my friends who, obviously, in Midwest or, like, Texas or even the East Coast, a lot of them – high school – because they played football or they played soccer. And, um, yeah, they, they learned how to lift well very young. Well, I will say that our, our program was at very best novice. It was not a very good program. It was
2: more so – it was almost in a similar way. It was sink or swim. Yeah. It's either you can do the program or you can't. But what
1: I think separates our school from the other schools, because we were considered, like, not the most athletic school, not the most uh, – it wasn't def- it wasn't the biggest school either, but we were gonna be well conditioned, we we're gonna be smart, and we were gonna be strong as well. So
3: it was just the consistency of doing the actual program. Right. It was sticking with it, being consistent with
1: it, the people who were consistent saw results, the people who were inconsistent didn't see results, and our coach was very adamant about getting us in the weight room because if you were you weren't in the weight room in our high school, you weren't playing. Yeah, especially on defense. You were not playing if you weren't in the weight room. Yeah. No matter how good you were, and uh, none of us were that good, so it was really <laughs> easy for them to make that decision.
0: Yeah, they are all in the weight room. Yeah, yeah, and I think that, but hey, that you know allowed you to have time to develop that skill because I mean, it is strength is its own skill, and <laughs> and spending more time on the bar, but also spending time with the, or in the in the weight room with people around you, I think that also helps. You know, I think, you know, like when I when I was younger and I did start going to the gym, I was mostly by myself. Maybe would have one guy with me and, you know, who also didn't know what he was doing. So it's like, <laughs> you know, um, and I think it's where a lot of people get scared. And wh- kind of was, uh, again, why I even wanted to do the show was how can I make a resource that I wish I had? That was the whole kind of the whole point behind. I was like, I want to I'd like to make a podcast that beginner me uh, wish I had that would be a cool resource to point to uh, educational material, to hear people speak, to relate to other people who maybe, you know, they wouldn't relate to um, and kind of find that, um, you know, like, uh, you know, like Rob Hall, Worldbreaker Savage is a huge nerd. Um, so it's like, you know, hey, hey he, he likes the stuff I like. Plus, he's a monster. So it kind of closes that gap of we're so different. Um, and that was kind of my goal was to create a cool resource, a directory that could point people to really good people and really good information. Okay. So that's what I wanted. Um, and actually in the first episode, I, I told, I mentioned like four good beginner programs and I mentioned pH three and I did say that it was like, not, it was a little bit more in depth than say five by five or five, three, one, but that it was like, you know, you can get it get a hold of it for little to no, not much. And, um, and I know you then, you know, you had said on your Instagram about wanting to do like a little review and breakdown of it. So I thought it'd be kind of cool to have you kind of how you found it and then how you've a little bit about it and how you've like applied it for yourself. As a
3: oh, yeah, For
1: sure. Um, now, yeah, we, we, you said it pretty well just now. Uh, PH3, I wouldn't call it a beginner program. I actually talked to Lane Norton at the Arnold for that mm-hmm. as far as, I, I asked him, like, has anyone else really reached out to you and said so they take the, do the P3 the training early? And he's like, it's four advanced lifters. Yeah. That was his main suggestion to me. He's like, or his main comment to me. He's like, it's four advanced lifters. Like, I have guys squatting 275, 225 for their one-rep max, wanting to get P3, and... He really discourages that because they're just not going to be able to handle the volume, the progressive overload, the periodization of the program as well. So I would say it was more intermediate to advanced, uh, the program. I think you should run programs before graduating the PhD. But how I found out of it, I think I was like 22 years old and one of my really good friends from high school, um, I worked out with him every day at the commercial gym we used to train at. And he was a competitive bodybuilder, actually. Who yes, he could have had a really good sport, powerlifting as well. The guy was a fucking stud. But um, never really got into it. But he told me, he's like, dude, I found this program by Lane Noren. Both of them were pretty, me and him were pretty good, pretty big fans of Lane. Uh, just through his video logs and all that kind of stuff. He uh, He's like, I'm going to do the PH 3 Check it out. I think you should run it with me. So we're on the same day and same routine. So I looked at it and I'm like, all right, it's a powerlifting program. I like doing the compound lifts. It looks like it's going to definitely build muscle. It does that as well because Lane Norn being a world-class powerlifter, is a professional uh, bodybuilder as well. So like, there's no reason not to do it. And I did it just by my friend telling me. It was at the time on bodybuilding.com uh, for free. So it was a free program available for everyone. They recently put up a paywall behind it, but it's been out for so long that there's a bunch of spreadsheets bunch of reviews made it on it already so we started training for that and then i actually hurt myself the first time through it that's when i looked at conventional right. so my first time through i conventional deadlift and by the 11th week on the last block which if you run ph3 is a intense intense block uh hurt my back a little bit and then the next day squatting i really hurt my back and hip it might have been my sciatic nerve. never really got it diagnosed but um yeah the first time through, I actually hurt myself, and it took me, like, three weeks to fully recover. And then I restarted the program very conservatively, and then that's where I actually switched to sumo deadlifts. And I was about 23 years old when that happened. So,
2: um, yeah. yeah, I did that up until the New Year's, and then my birthday hit, and then I
1: restarted the program.
0: Nice. When's your birthday?
1: January 29th.
0: Ah, I'm January. ninety three. January 9th. uh uh-huh. ah, January. Um... Yeah, and for I mean for those who don't know, like you have a very um a very like close close in parentheses, a closer uh sumo stance. Um yeah. but hybrid, as
1: people like to call it Oh
0: what? I'm sorry.
1: Hybrid is uh people like to refer to. Yeah, like I, a hybrid sumo, like half sumo, half conventional stance.
0: Yeah, but it but I I always thought yours looked like Ed Cones cuz he had a really he had a really like hybrid narrow sumo stance too. I,
1: I, think ed even like he referred it for himself that's where people's like oh it's a hybrid uh cohen stance and i i think cohen described his stance as hybrid as well so um,
0: if he's describing
1: it then i think we should all describe it in a hybrid
0: yeah 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 i would agree he's the final say on that if he said it i'll go with it um but yeah it has that that cool hybrid where it's you know you know your the hands are between your knees but you know, your, your legs are on the outside and you have a little bit more range, uh, but you still stay really upright, um, throughout the whole, and actually I've seen you pull conventional on your videos and honestly, it doesn't look much, much different when you do it. You're pretty consistent. Um, what, you know, how did you kind of make, like when you were like, go back to the weight room after you hurt yourself, what was your thought process of like, all right, what do I change? Or did you just kind of play with it and you just kind of stuck with what felt good?
1: Well, yeah, I actually, it was a lot of trial and error for me. And when I first started sumo deadlifting, it was not the stance that you see. It was still kind of narrow, but I'm very short. Like, that's my body type. I can't, and I have very poor hip mobility, so I can't get out that far
2: with my legs. And I wasn't able to do that initially
1: when I started. But it was still a little wider, and I just – did the rationale was I know for a fact that if I do sumo, I'll be using less of my back. And yeah. if I use less of my back, then I won't hurt my back.
3: Yeah.
1: So as I went along with it, I started progressing, but I think it might have been the squat that was forcing me to do this where I couldn't get balance if I was wide, so I would just – Slowly narrow them in, and I notice I'm like once I narrow in more and more and more, I could use more and more of my legs, which is a odd thing that happens in powerlifting, where we're always told throughout our lives lift with your legs, and then we get into the sports that requires us to lift things, and we're encouraged a lot of times to lift with our back, which I don't understand where the disconnect was because. I, I, when I was a kid and, and I had to lift heavy things, like, no, 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 lift your leg, you're going to hurt your back. Then I'm lifting 600 pounds, and then people are lifting with their back still. I'm like, wait, why don't we just lift away? We lift things like actual objects. You see, strong men do things, they're not lifting in a conventional stance. They're really doing it very similar to a sumo, and they're lifting things up. So, why should that change once I start deadlifting? So, that was kind of the rationale I had. I'm like, it's easier to pick things up from. This position, if you see me pick anything up on the floor, uh, I used to work manual labor jobs, I would always do it the way I deadlifted, that you see currently, that hybrid stance. So I kind of used that common sense, or at least what I think is common sense, to my training, and it slowly, slowly worked. And then I would also kind of in, incorporate other cues and other technique that um, Ed Cohen had, like keeping your delts in your back pocket – Pushing off the floor, uh, focus on the push, not exactly the pull. That helped me stay behind the weight and all that kind of stuff and to keep that hybrid stance uh, to where it's effective. But um, it, yeah, most of it was just trial and error. Like if you see my first competition, it is a bit wider. Oh. and But you could see that I'm using a lot of my back. Once I start using more quads and hamstrings and glutes, um, my deadlift increased by a lot. And knock on wood, there's been less... Uh, Less back injuries too. Yeah,
0: and and again, the you know for those who haven't say you do. You have pretty massive legs, um, at least by like at least through the shots. Like you, you know, you, it's, it's thick. Um, when you know, I think that disconnect. I wonder if that. Oh, well, I guess I wonder with that disconnect that you mentioned with people in powerlifting. I think because they're always trying to either get a bigger back or keep their back tighter to create you know that that fulcrum for the leverage of your legs. And yeah. perhaps people started misinterpreting, you know, getting the back tighter as to lifting with your back as opposed to using it just as a post to, yeah. you know, get to pull that, you know, against the way to then to use your legs. Um, Cause that's one thing I've, I really had to learn was to, uh, it took me a, a while to learn how to engage my lats into the back and kind of keep that centered and keep it tight. That way I can, you know, pull that slack out and then use my hips and my legs to drive the bar. Um, and, and it was kind of a, um, I I heard Chris Duffin once kind of say how he really, that really clicked for him when he hurt his back during a meet. Oh, actually, I'm sorry. He hurt his back in training two weeks before a meet. And then during the meet, it was still kind of bugging him. So he was really protective of it, especially after squat. And so he, he's just like, man, don't just like, your back as vertical and as tight as possible and, you know, really pull the slack out. he was so care, like, so like careful with it that that's kind of what he said he finally learned how to deadlift um and same thing happened to me i'd spaz my back out a few times using too much back in my conventional i then switched to sumo for the same reason use less back um and then actually after my last meet i switched back to conventional because i apparently use less back now after doing sumo for about six months yeah. Well,
1: <laughs> and the liverages are different for everyone. I understand why people do conventional lift. Uh, they just simply can't sumo. Uh, and it's just, I, I just, I, and I, and I think the best conventional deadlifters do not use, you know, 90% of their back. I'm saying with conventional deadlifts, the chances of your form breaking down and you using more back is just a little bit greater than uh, sumo deadlift. And one guy I like to use as an example is a uh, Garrett fear. Yeah. Uh, Garrett's got that super narrow uh, conventional deadlift, but he creates so much leverage and he stays behind the bar very well. So he's a little bit different. And so um, also Eric Littlebridge they do very similar types of deadlift where it's conventional, but they're using a good part of their legs and your back is still strong that will help you with the lift. I'm just saying that. I need to find a way to eliminate most of my back during it because also running the PS3 trainer, it's intense with the volume. The amount of volume you're doing is incredible. So you're going to be fatigued. You're going to be training fatigue like 95% of the time. So if you're training fatigue, the chances of you uh, compensating a little bit, it's just that much greater. And if you use conventional, you're going to maybe tweak your hip or back.
0: Yeah. And definitely doing that. Um, do you ever think that, Cause I think my conventional got better after solely focusing on my sumo for again, from October to just this pat to about six weeks ago, I it was sum, I sumoed and, um, and during my off season and I started, you know, the, as, as you, you know, as you usually do. So like my coach was like, all right, we'll do some conventional light. And, um, and he's like, uh let's just run that for a while. Cause you look way better. And honestly, just because I would run my sumo sequence just in my conventional stance. Um, and so my whole point behind the bar and the leverage, um, I pulled better conventional just from applying that technique. So do you ever think that that translates where, you know, one helps the other kind of cyclically? Yeah, well, for sure. Um, I think a lot of people
1: who have that really good, uh, conventional deadlift can make that transition to sumo or vice versa. I think a lot of people, I mean, i I've, I've I have yet to seen a guy who deadlifts say like 600 pounds sumo not be able to deadlift like 450 to 500 pounds conventional yeah. and that's just for easy reps because i do that at, I deadlift over 700 sumo but i'm fairly certain i could conventional 600 pretty easily and get up to like 630 on my conventional deadlift yeah i haven't done it but with like five, how five twenty five moves for just really me uh, trying to strengthen my back during my off season with conventional, it moves super easy. That's like seventy percent of my one rep right max.
0: Yeah, yeah, which is yeah, and then yeah, and why you don't need to really push if you don't want to, but it's good to know that you have it. Um, mm-hmm. And so, kind of going back to the PH three. So, what is like uh, again? So, for someone listening, yes, it's you know more of an intermediate to advanced uh, program. What does that program, you know, look like in comparison to maybe a more beginner program like Five by Five or Five Three One?
1: Well, I think it's actually kind of a perfect comparison to make because I've only run Five Three One and PA Street Trainer okay. as far as like my programs. Mm-hmm. Um, I am actually pretty like minimalistic when it comes to programs. There's I could count on one hand how many programs I actually ran throughout my life. Yeah. So five, three is the only, like, powerlifting program I've done. And it's similar to five three one with a progressive overload and a periodization of everything. Mm. But that's pretty much the only similarity. Right. With pH 3, the periodization, the progressive overload, and the amount of volume you're doing is far greater than that beginner program. And it's... The reason why I'm going to do the uh, kind of week by week review on it, or a week by week blog on it, is because I can answer a lot of questions week by week, as opposed to doing it at once. Yeah. And there's so much to unpack with PH3 because there's three separate stages of it: uh, an adaptation phase, a um, intensity phase, and then like an overreaching phase. So those three blocks change, and. The overall theme of it is a lot of volume, because if you watch this really good video log by Lane Norton about volume training, he consistently argues that volume is the main driver of strength adaptation and muscle damage. So if your volume is high, you are going to be able to adapt to the weights, and that is what you want to do in powerlifting, strength adaptation. You're adapting to heavier loads so you can lift more loads. So. That is where you get the volume training. So within the first four weeks, not I wouldn't say easy, but you're gonna be doing uh, squat three times a week, bench three times a week, uh, and then deadlifting two times a week. And then one of those days, so day one of the program is squat, bench, deadlift, two sets of nine for two sets of nine for squat and bench, and then two sets of seven for deadlift. That's gonna be seventy two percent of your water max. And then you have an upper body hypertrophy day, kind of uh, a lighter day on that. But then your next day is squat, squat, bench, legs, hypertrophy. And the percentages increase, the reps decrease. And then uh, you take a day off and then it's deadlift, bench, upper body hypertrophy. And the weight increase, the percentages increase, reps lower. Then same thing with squat. It's squat, legs, hypertrophy the very last day. And that's going to be the heaviest day of the week that's going to be what you're doing from
2: week one to around week 13. Mm -hmm. You don't really change a whole ton of it. Um, The only,
1: and then the progressive overload is every Saturday, Sunday or day six and seven, you're going to be doing an AMRAP. Depending on how you do an AMRAP, you might add a percentage on or percentage and a half on, which is going to be five pounds the next week. So that's where you get the progressive overload. And
2: then what, I like to tell people because during like I'm in that overreaching
1: stage right now where I'm going to max out, and every four weeks you don't max out, you do a rep test. So a rep test is very similar to five three one, where you're trying to hit a percentage percentage for a certain rep range, and if you get over that rep range then your one or max one rep max should increase, you add like 5-10 pounds to your one or max, and then go off the new progress one or max off your percentages. But for, yeah, for example, this overreaching stage with uh, kind of the volume, my next workout, which is going to be Saturday, uh, tomorrow, is going to be deadlift, 635, five sets of two, top set is an AMRAP. And people think that that's not a lot of volume, when in reality, that's a ton of volume. If you're doing six sets of two with something, that's going to be 12 overall reps, and you're going to be, you should be able to do all twelve of those reps. If you start failing reps, uh, because in the program you're going just under that like threshold of failure, you're keeping like one or two reps in reserve. If you're going just about that point, you should hit all your reps. Your top set maybe should be you know three or four, but your sets before that you should
2: hit two. And then if you combine say six thirty times twelve. That's a lot of volume. Yeah. That is much, that's more volume than doing three sets of 10 with 70%. It just is. Yeah. So the volume is going to help you adapt to that heavier workload, and it's going to be beneficial for you in the long run. And
1: it, it differs from the traditional powerlifting programs where even the more advanced ones, because I see this trend of maxing out two weeks before a meets or something, and uh, deloading up into your week, and I really disagree with that training method now i believe it's archaic i think that's a little bit of an old school kind of way i think you should max out on your mate meet day. yeah you should max out in the gym it's like the rationale is well i want to know what the weight feels like before i get into that i need to hit in the gym before i hit the platform it's like well if you would have hit your gym lifts on the platform you would have gone nine for nine not yeah. six for nine yeah. so that's kind of the the
3: rationale behind that and i think ph3 trainer it tapers you off right up until your meet day okay so that very that last taper that last deload
1: the last the final day is an act day and that should be your meet
0: yeah okay that makes sense yeah i i know some people that do that also i've never i had not done that i mean i've only done two meets um and in the programs i had run at least with the in with the people that i had yeah they never had me hit i hit i would hit um let's see like at the last one i hit I was four, so one month out, I did a three rep, three rep max. And then I did the next week, a little more than a week after that, I did a two rep. And then I did a single rep, um, the, about a week after that. And it was my last squat. And it was about like a, it was like a 90% with commands, uh, not a max, but a good, like difficult, uh, rep. It was, it was 88. It was like 88%. Uh, lift commands and, you know, warming up up until then. And that was it. That was my last squat. And then the bench and the deadlift kind of, all, kind of had a similar thing. So it was more of like, you know, ramping up and then, you know, have that little taper and then and max the meat, And then for the meat before that, it wasn't too different. But I definitely never... I've never... I had at least decent direction to not do that. But I do... Yeah, I had guys that you know, in the same gym and doing the meet, their, their meats and you know, they're like, all right, I'm going to do my SBD day, and I'm going to try to get pretty close to the max that I want to hit at the gym. That way, same rationale. And mm-hmm. they always would be like three for nine, four for nine. <laughs> like, they had a <laughs> shitty day.
1: <laughs> well, like, there's nothing, I have actually done that before. Because the very first, like, my first three minutes, I really had no idea what I was doing.
3: Yeah. So, I really didn't know or have any, like, uh, guidance on what to do.
2: So, I would do that just for my own, like, peace of mind. And it worked out, and
1: sometimes it didn't. My very worst meet has been a time where I maxed out three weeks before and then tapered off, and I couldn't get 705 off the floor, even though that was my third attempt the previous. Week. So that was a problem there. But I think it's good for equipped guys, exactly raw guys, because you have to feel that weight on your back. Yeah. Like, for, because. Say, say your multiplier, single player, even wrapped, you got to be able to handle the weight on your back. And you got to be able to hit your depth and all that kind of stuff and figure that out stuff out for yourself. But I think with Raw Guys, you should be able to taper off well into your meat. And then with the PH3, it's very similar to your other program. Follows the same principles periodization, volume, progressive overload, all those types of uh, fundamental powerlifting principles that work. Uh, they're scientifically proven, but the great thing about that program, you your meat day is going your easiest day. The meat day should not be that hard. Uh,
2: you're doing squat bench deadlift every week for three weeks, yeah. at least once a week, at least once a week. Sometimes you're doing it two or
1: three times a week uh, based on your deload. But you're going to get used to squat bench and deadlifting on the same day, and the volume on those days will kick your ass it is a very hard workout occasionally. Like sometimes I just, I, my body just gets so fatigued that it takes me forever to do the workout. And then that's where I actually get close to missing reps is those lower percentage days. Yeah. Not those higher percentage workload days, because my body is just getting so beat up with volume. Um, but once that meet day hits and then you do that over state, but over can be a good thing.
3: Yeah,
1: um, If you followed up with a very low volume, workload the next week it actually could have a rebound effect where you actually get stronger in the process uh and that's what lane norton preaches in like the last three or four weeks but you're going to be conditioned to hit your squat bench deadlift in the platform and on the platform should definitely be the easiest day uh, you're not going to get fatigued on the platform when you're only doing it for one rep because you're going to be, have to get used to it at either seven for nine reps in the gym
0: yeah when you do the AMRAPs, um, do you so like I, I when it comes to AMRAPs, like I know there's a, a Russian formula at least that I was taught where you kind of you can kind of estimate your one rep max by how many reps you do. So like the one that I know is you take the weight uh, times it by the reps you do, and then you times it by zero point zero three three, and you get a number, and you add that number back into the original weight, and that's your estimated one rep max um is you have kind of like a similar calculator to that uh,
1: kind of um it's really not that complex it's more on my am reps. uh
3: are, if you're talking about the top set on a workout day yeah then so if my fifth set i'm supposed
1: to hit it for three and i hit it for five not four five i want to go two reps above that um i'll
2: just add a percentage on next week so mm-hmm. say if i was doing seventy five percent i would just do 76 and that usually is gonna be five
1: pounds but for my am or my rep test where i'm doing an amrap for one set they have 85 and i'm supposed to get five and seven i would just add five pounds onto my water i max okay
2: okay because i I mean i could hit it for eight right and that's three reps above and that means you know, you're
1: killing it. It's actually probably, you know, 80 to 75% of your or max. I still only increase 5 to 10 pounds because I like to stay conservative with things. Yeah. And if I'm staying conservative, the chances of me pushing myself to injury is far less. And I could possibly still have the... the Wherewithal to hit it on the platform as well.
0: Yeah. And, and not only that, I mean, five... So how often do you do your one-set AMRAP test in the program? Um, that's going to be a rep test.
1: That's going to be every four weeks, so three times. Or two times, technically. So it's going to be 85 rep test, 87-and-a-half-set half representative test, and then your next one is going to be your one-rep max. Would be a, a which I'm on now,
2: is a one-rep max.
0: Okay, nice. So, yeah, I mean, if you... So, but if you run that program and you're doing AMRAPs and your working sets, and then you have your two, you know, AMRAP tests, one set, and you add five pounds each time every four weeks, that's ten pounds in eight week block, and that's, mm-hmm. you know, that at that point by the end of the year you probably added, you know, what twenty pounds to your one rep max or so. Very po- yeah, very possible, and then. It,
1: then the strategy changes once you're. So if you're just doing this one or at max and just, you know, bet yourself, that's one thing. But for me, I have a different strategy when it comes to the meets where it's, it's going to be just a little bit different. Where I'm still trying to hit my progress one or at max on the platform, but the goal is that second attempt that I'm going to hit is either matching my previous one or at max from the meet or going above it. Right. So. It could force me to go like a hundred and two percent of my one rep max.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. My um, my coach actually does the same thing. He likes to have you know you have a good opener, you know you're going to get it. Then he likes to either match or go just above your old, you know your either you know your old uh, third attempt if it's there, and then your third attempt obviously you know is a you know shoot for it. Um, so it's kind of that's kind of how he does it also to some degree. <laughs> And I think it's it's smart because you you get your opener and then you get yourself something you you've already know you that's a, a good a good number but you know you've done it especially if it was your old third. Um, that's what I did on mine. I did an opener. I did my old third attempt, which I did easy, which was nice. And then I passed out on my last one, <laughs> so I didn't. That's the only way to do it.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, so for a person, because the strategy
1: with me is interesting for me because it used to be for me. Third attempt, go balls to the wall and just try to put something up.
3: Yeah.
1: Because, you know, it's your third attempt. So it's like if you're not gonna, you know, try to put the best lift possible on your third attempt, like why the fuck are you even there? Yeah. But now that I've kinda gotten to a point where so Raw National's move next meet. Yeah. I gotta be a little strategic with that meet because
2: it's it it, it kinda means something at that point. Yeah. You know, it's, it's Raw Nationals. You have a lot of guys who are either gunning for you
1: or you're chasing a ton of guys. So you got to put in a really good meet, but also you just can't be stupid about it. That's where your second attempt becomes super important, where your second attempt, that's where you're getting a little strategic with things like, okay, if this guy misses this lift, which this that was never the case for me. I didn't even think about it. Yeah. And now this coming meet, I have to actually think about it because this is probably the most... I, I could honestly say that this is the meet I'm not going to win because uh, uh, every meet I've done so far I've won best overall lifter um, I'm definitely not going to win best overall lifter at this meet because you know I saw what Daniel Melo did and uh, Russ Orhe did and Taylor Atwood did and uh, you know I'm not, I'm not there yet I'm not at a 550 Wilkes uh, even by this next competition so I gotta start thinking about podium or coming top five or just putting my best meet in possible yeah so you got to think about those second attempts big time. Um, the strategy, like you, you start being a little more strategic once you're at bigger competitions, which was something I always frowned upon. But now I'm thinking like actually that makes sense when you're at those national,
2: world type competitions.
0: Yeah, and it really is. I and mean, anyone listening who doesn't know, you know, you lift in the USAPL, and you were you qualified for the for the Raw Nationals. Um, mm-hmm. And when is that again? That's in October.
2: Yeah, October
1: sixteenth through twentieth is, is I don't know what day I'm going, but uh, probably
0: the eighteenth. Yeah, probably because you're you're in the eighty three, right? Yeah, eighty three kilo. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then before that, I competed APF and WPC meets, and while those
1: are great federations, I I mean, a lot of those meets I could have put in my openers and won my weight class easily and possibly best overall just by going three for nine. Yeah. So that's where I was like, dude, just go and hit. Your
2: just go, it's just go and hit your one or Go out and go balls for the wall because I had that peace of mind like, eh, no one's probably gonna beat me anyway, yeah.
1: So I could do that. But at USAPL Nationals, like the 10th guy, the
0: 10th place guy could possibly beat me, yeah, because that 83 kilos is so it's, stacked, it's stacked, and the talent pool is you know, is really really huge, you know, and that's and yeah, there was you know, I saw so my left. La- just the last meet that i had the announcer who was there and i was in nevada i was in vegas and um i don't i don't remember his name but he you can tell he used to be he used to be i think he used to be a geared powerlifter he'd been doing it for a long time and he started talking to me and another guy about um actually second attempt selection like messing with somebody he was, he was like yeah he's like yeah rock like, yeah, when you know we used to do it. he's like second attempt was where you would get people to kind of mess up he's like you hit your opener And then you can go and put yourself, you know, down for like your second attempt. But maybe you would put on a higher second attempt than what you actually wanted. You actually kind of want it more, you know, maybe just under your third than what you would do. You put that down for your second, knowing that you had five minutes up until you could come, you know, to go to the lift to change it. So they would put that on and they would try to force whoever they're against to be like, oh, shit, he's going to be hitting that for a second. Uh, So it would push them to do something that they will probably miss or gas them out for their third. And then five minutes before, you'd have your handler go and change it to what you actually wanted. And then you go and you do it, and then it kind of, you know, it messes with the rotation, it messes with the competition. And you said that those timing and those uh, attempt changes were part of the strategy. Yeah, and, and that is a, I've heard that from old school lifters too, kind of how the second attempt
2: and they would try to, they, they would use those attempts to kind of uh, mess with their opponents based on what they were in the flight.
1: Um, for me, I'm actually, it's, so if somebody tried to do that to me, it's very simple for me to avoid that because I don't give a
3: shit. You got to hit it first, and I'm going to hit my second attempt no matter what. Yeah. So um, it's more so with that second attempt, just like, okay, it, I, it's like, it's either you get something, you know, you can hit, so your total can be saved, or you could have that kind of that launch pad into your third attempt. Yeah. Because I've seen that at meets that I've done before where I opened with something and then the next guy's second attempt was way higher. I'm like, what the hell? Like, I can't wait to see this. Yeah. It's like got for a second attempt, it's going 705. Yeah. Like that's going to be crazy. It's like, I'm, you know, and this was a time when I was like doing, you know, like 650 for my second attempt
1: and then they just completely missed it. Yeah. I'm like, what the hell were they thinking? Going 705, and I talked to him afterwards, like, oh, we saw your opener, and like we thought that you were eventually going to hit seven. Like we needed something big in order to
2: win best overall. Like, oh well, <laughs> I didn't know that because I was excited to see him. Like, goddamn, this guy's about to pull 705 for his second attempt, even though he opened he opened like 10 pounds lighter
1: than me. Yeah, but. Just turned out they were just taking a hail mary to in order to invest overall lifter, but and then, like but and the one of the meat I'm referring to is my very first APF nationals meets, and at that point like I was so new to the sport that I had, I didn't even know what place I was in. I actually thought I was getting killed in the competition because
3: I thought that raw lifters were in the same category as raw with wraps. Oh yeah. So I'm like, all these guys are all totaling me by 100 pounds. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not even close. And I didn't know I was in my own separate division. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I was, I was, I, everyone's like, I think you're going best overall lifter
1: with that pole. I'm like, no, I didn't. Have you seen the other guys? They're like, no, you're raw, dude. <laughs>
0: yeah, you're, yeah you're, you're raw, not classic raw. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like, you're not raw with ref, classic raw. You're best overall. And I didn't even know that up until I, up until I was done competing. Yeah. Like I
0: was done with the day and I was just kind of walking around. It's like I think he just and actually actually the person who said it to me is my now co-host for Two White Lights. Oh nice. He yeah he walked up to me and that was actually kind of how we
1: first uh, talked. He's like yeah I think you just won a uh, best overall lifter and I was like I don't think I did. And then he had to explain to me that I was a raw lifter.
3: Yeah. And I'm like oh okay. I'm like I didn't know that. So yeah. Yeah.
1: I was I was already right changed out of my singlet and had my you know my juventus
0: tracksuit on so i was like chilling at that point full full italian at that point yeah um yeah you know it's it's different actually uh, you haven't squatted with wraps i remember seeing a video of you you were somewhere when they they wrapped your knees and you're like how the fuck do you get depth with these (laughs) oh
2: yeah that was i was in uh, manchester when that happened uh yeah, I
3: think on people on two white lights get sick of that story because I told it so many times uh, to huh? people that know. But I you know, it was it's with uh, the Irish competitors, and they wrapped my knees
0: uh, in like a drunken kind of thing to do at a hotel bar yeah. at three o'clock
1: in the morning. But uh, they were all quip lifters, so they wrapped my knees.
3: And I remember saying, like, how the fuck do you get, like, because I couldn't bend my knees. Yeah, you can't. Or I couldn't extend my knees. They're actually technically already bent. Yeah. So I was trying to get squat depth. I'm like, what the hell? How the fuck do you get depth in these?
0: And then one of the guys, like, oh, you put your fucking lids on your back. Yeah. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, let's say do it. Yeah, I I switched to wraps. Um, I actually found that I I squatted better with wraps. Like, uh, (laughs) it it forced me to to sit back more and kind of, and to, like, push into them. And, uh, yeah, like, I i just i squat i just have a better technique with reps and then uh and especially just being lanky that little extra like stopping and rebound kind of is nice nice little thing to have Uh, but yeah i feel
2: like i would be decent in reps
0: too i'm completely frowned upon oh yeah i'm sure you would the way the way you because you squat fast and you're so upright and um and then of course you just you know your quad you just have great quad drive because of is you know how, how you squat and how you pull that you want yeah well, if you were to like squat and wraps I bet you could get a lot of just 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 push like bounce into the wraps and I bet you would just you would probably just smash I would probably yeah something do. I'm completely opposed to people think that because uh,
1: USAPL natty elitist kind of guys those raw um, natty elitist like labels that we all have that they assume that I hate rap lifting like no I think rap I, I I'm not opposed to doing it at a point in my career. Just there's a lot I have to come. There's a lot I want to do at raw. And I think the future in the sport is kind of raw lifting, but
0: um. yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. I mean, I, I think it kind of comes down to it's like, you know, it, it's the same thing where it's like, you know, um, you know, you're like, you're like, for those again, who ever look at his Instagram, if you're not sure he's natty, anyone else in the sport knows, that, you know, that, you know, you've been adding, you pull all your numbers and obviously USAPL. Um, but even on your, on your Instagram, one time, you know, someone had mentioned, you know, if you're going to use and you're, and I, I actually commented, I was like, well, if you're, you're doing, you're hitting the numbers and you're progressing. Like, there's no point you don't need to, you're doing fine. Um, and I think it's very similar where it's like, if you're doing fine in raw um, just you, if you don't want to do wraps, you don't have to, if you're doing fine with sleeves, just keep going. Um, when you hit a wall it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll try wraps and maybe I'll squat better or for any other person, if you train and you really put it in, that's how it was for me, you know, before deciding like, Oh, I, I want to try gear is because I feel like I went all the way to my genetic potential and I still suck and I really want to compete. So yeah, <laughs> that's what you do. So, yeah. Yeah,
1: you gotta take a proper assessment of yourself.
0: Yeah, most definitely, and and, uh, and yeah, and I think also that's kind of part of the fun of the sport is there's more to it. Like you can do raw, you can do raw with wraps, and obviously eventually equipped. Yeah, there's lots to do. Um, what are some of the goals you have in raw? Like what going into nationals and such?
1: Well, for nationals, an interesting one. I've never been a guy to look at numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that that's a big thing. Like oh, a lot of people I know, it's like they want to hit a certain total, which is perfectly fine. I'm not looking down at that at all. I just don't. I'm I'm always into hitting my progress one or a max that I have in my and whatever the progress one or max is, it's going to be better than my last total. So therefore, it's a success. Yeah. So um, but but now with Raw Nationals coming up, and this is going to be a meet that I'm going to be tested in. So many different aspects as far as just the amount of competitors that are there the amount of world records or national records that could be broken at that meet um, if you're looking at not even my weight class just all the weight classes that I'm going to be definitely a small fish in a big pond at that meet where it was the opposite so now I actually kind of got to go in with a total number because you know that's what's that's what i need to do in order to podium yeah or put in my best meat and i think based on what i've seen last year and what i've seen the other 83 kilos or 83 kilo guys lift this year i think i definitely got to get a 1650 plus total uh, possibly 1700 plus total in order for me to stay within that field because I think two guys at the top, or he and Oriega, are going to be well over seventeen hundred on their meet. So I think one or one and two, uh, the bar is already set there. Then the field, I think seventeen hundred hundred pound total
2: is that next kind of like step up for me. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and the field, but if I go into
1: Raw Nationals and I go say nine for nine with the sixteen eighty or seventeen hundred total and i don't podium i will be very happy with myself okay i will be extremely proud if i put in my best total by far well over 500 wilks i'm not smart enough with ipf points yet to know what good ipf points are but i know wilks is kind of the same thing it'll be well over 500 wilks well over my best total of my life if i don't podium at that meet's and I still have that type of meat, I'm extremely happy with myself. So that's the short-term goal. Um, And then after that, just continuously building off that best total that I had. Um, After Raw Nationals, I kind of alluded it with some people. Actually, I mean, I could break some news on your show. Um, I'm going to be looking for coaching. I've spoken with a few people on... Potential coaching for the future, I think I've discussed on my show before on who I would get coaching from, uh, who I'll be open to get coaching from, because PH3 has been good for me, but at the same time, I don't know if it's smart for me. And other people have told me it makes sense that it's not a great idea just constantly doing the same thing over and over again. Um, You need something different because, I mean, eventually I'm going to compensate and I have been doing it. So compensate, you're going to be, you know, making mistakes. And I just, I feel like, and other people feel like I need another set of eyes on me because I've been training solo for pretty much my entire career. Um, So the goal after Nationals is, of course, improve upon my total, which goal is close to 1,700 total. And then after that, get coaching and see where we can go from there. Because it's one thing to get to 500 Wilks, but if you want to get to – those elite totals. I think I'm gonna need a little extra help.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, also, maybe a federation change. Um, I'm consider if I do well at nationals, I'll con- and if I'm get- if I'm lucky enough to get invited, I would like to do the Arnold. Yeah. Um, see if that extra and that'll be a good if I do get coaching from someone, get that stage of coaching from there. Yeah. From October to March, that'll be good. But I also want to do a different federation because USAPL is a great federation, but at the same time, I can't see myself in that federation for long. So USPA will be great. Um, federation for me, that's the kind of the last one I want to compete in. And it'll be great to deadlift with a deadlift bar again and see if I can get that 755 pull. Yeah, which is going which will be the all-time drug-tested world record. I don't know if people care about all-time drug-tested world records. That doesn't really show up on the record books. But if if I can get a seven fifty pound deadlift by March of next year,
0: uh, I'll be very very happy. That'll be because uh, that's my best lift. Yeah, I think that'd be awesome. And you're already at because your best pull so far is what seven oh five seven. Sorry,
1: seven thirty in the gym 7.30 in comp my last meet i had 705 but that meet was kind of sandbagged
0: because i just wanted to qualify for nationals right, so that's right. i only really worked up the second attempts okay got it got it yeah well if you're yeah if you're best in gym 730 so i that would be awesome and i think it count. like i don't uh i think well, it counts as a, like it counts an all-time drug test world record but in this sport no one cares about the all-time drug test world record it's about the all-time, right? The all-time, yeah. And I know some people say that. But at the same time, I think all lifters appreciate – still appreciate it. Like,
1: oh, yeah. They, I, I mean, yeah. they will appreciate it. But it's just like it will be a cool thing to have
3: that because that's my division. That's what I tell people. I compare myself to my peers. Yeah. But
1: the reason why I kind of uh, – I don't know, like – don't regard drug-tested world records as like an all-time world record. It's because I do know people who are untested federations, USPA, whatever, who are drug-free.
3: Yeah,
1: I know that for a fact. I mean, I mean, if I go to USPA, you can guarantee I'm going to be drug-free.
3: Yeah.
1: Just because I'm making that change, is not I'm going to start popping on uh, PDS or uh, other types of steroids or that kind of stuff. I'm not going to be doing that, but I know there's a lot of guys in USPA who do not take. Yeah. So that's why I kind of been like, hey, there's, I mean, the person who has an all-time deadlift record is probably on steroids, but at the same time, I'm not going to classify every single person in 181-pound 181 weight 181 pound weight class being on steroids when they compete on the Federation.
0: Yeah, and I feel, especially in the USPA, like, And then all the non-tested division, it's like if you compete in a federation that allows it, then why would you be in the non-tested division? And you can just go to the tested division. There's no point to hide. And so, and same thing. All all of my all the lifters I did when I did non-tested, and like it's you know everyone's pretty easy and open about it. You know, and you can tell. And (coughs) yeah, it's it's they're all. I know I I like uh, it's all. That's the only federation I lifted in is USPA. And uh, I've had really great experiences. And I've also helped and, like, done, like, spotter loader and all that stuff. And, it's, and uh, yeah, I've had a really good time around the... the it
1: is a federation I want to do, um, and I know a lot of... It's so... Actually, if USAPL Nationals wasn't in Lombard, Illinois... Lombard, Illinois is 15 minutes away from my house. That's oh, the only okay. reason why I'm doing USAPL.
0: Okay, yeah, I was wondering where it was this year. Because I know it was in Spokane last year. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, like, and they usually do USAPL nationals in October, out of state, during the school year, during the week. Yeah. So I really can't take off ever for it. Yeah. Um so my my goal for this year for uh twenty nineteen was just to compete in different generation. Yeah. It wasn't to compete at USAPL, but I had the opportunity to finally compete at nationals and I know for a fact that the eighty three kilos is it's it's the elite class. Yeah. At USAPL, especially with raw drug-tested lifting. So I always wanted to – that's and the reason why I want to change federations is to get better competition. Yeah. So it wasn't being tested as much in WPC and APL. Yeah. So go into a different federation, do USAPL, I know that's kind of the top upper echelon uh, federation for my weight class. That's the only reason why I'm doing it. But I would have done USPA if it wasn't in Illinois because – usp has a ton of local meets yeah and a lot of good ones uh, coming up too so um I, I will do usp at some point here um yeah again it would be great to finally do that with the deadlift bar and that kind of stuff but yeah again with my goals because i think i just gave you way too many of them or just like a not clear answer but i remember matt wallace asked me this question a good friend of mine he asked me what my overall goal would be, and for one day or at the end of one calendar year, be the best 181-pounder in the world. That's a great goal. <laughs> like that is, and it, it could be for one day, you could get broken. in the next two weeks, three weeks, or whatever. But by the end of 2020, by the end of 2019, whatever, be the very best by total – and 181 pounds, just once. That's so all I have to do, just once. That'll be probably my top goal right now. But I think the total for that would have to be around 1800. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at 2020 for that. That would be, yeah, that would be the all-time goal
0: for me. All right, man. I think you can hit that. Uh, and you, like you said, you're in for one day. It's The same thing with Bama. I think because she's you know best in the world. But then I her Wilkes, it got it got broken. Like, like, a month, like a few weeks later. Well,
1: yeah, so the Arnold is when it was set at the XBC meet, and yeah. I believe Mariana and Steffi did it with the Open recently. Yeah. And actually Mariana, like, leapfrogged, and then Steffi leapfrogged uh, Bama. So it's like... Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's all over the place. And, and again, again, those top five Wilkes of all time are going to... It's going to change
2: so many times because I think CC Ingram as
0: a chance to oh, do best Oh, yeah. Uh, and I think F.E.
2: is probably going to be gunning again for it, so.
0: Yeah. and, and But and, like you said, just to do it once, even, you know, even if it, you know, got beat the next day, it, like, no one takes that from you, and that's a, that'd be that'd be an awesome accomplishment. and yeah. And it also sets yourself up for some other good things. Like, if,
1: it's like, well, and I, I I'm weird when it comes to this, but if I had the best total of all time and I get surpassed, I was like, well, I got the number two best total of all time. Yeah, well,
0: yeah. well. You know, Or you you bet you got it, or you got it first. Like everybody remembers yeah. the guy who first broke the you know the first you know four was four minute mile. Yeah. Uh, yeah, everyone like people broke it after that, but he was the first to do it. Yeah, for know? sure. And
1: this sport is very similar to those Olympic type sports as well, where. We're, there's a total that are set that we could break, and if we break it, awesome. And if somebody else does say break a total that I have or break a record that I have or surpass me, I still look at that as a good thing because... I, and I think I brought up on the show, because uh, I think uh, Stacy Burr said it before, like, I'm hoping my Wilkes drops. And I was like, I don't know if I believe her exactly. Like, you're hoping that someone breaks your record? Yeah. Like, I... I it's either she's a much better person than me, which by all accounts, she probably is. But I'm like, I wouldn't want someone to break my record. I will congratulate them and give them their kudos if they
2: do. But it's like, I kind of want to hold that record. Yeah. But if they break it, it was like, well, guess
1: what I have to do? i got to break their record now. So yeah. competition is a good thing in this sport.
0: Yeah, I, I think so. And I think there's something about when you see somebody do something, it's like everyone, again, using the, the four-minute mile guy – and I'm just drawing back on his, his name. Everyone said that that was an impossible thing, but then he did it. And as soon as he did it, then other people saw it was possible. It becomes tangible. It becomes something that can be reached, and then therefore people have, you know, developed the drive to do it. And I think it's the same thing. Like why I wanted to, uh, like why I wanted to do this this show? Because for me, I learned that the more really high level athletes or lifters I talk to, um, and train with, especially by osmosis, I kind of just get some of that caliber. Um, And maybe it's psychosomatic and maybe it's just, you know, being around someone who's really good and you just kind of pick up from them. Yeah. That kind of competition or that kind of engagement with somebody pushes you. And once you can see something is done, it becomes, it's like, it's no longer like, Oh, maybe it becomes like, Oh, I can, you know? And then when you get to talk or interact with those people, it's even more tangible. And, and, but yeah, I think it comes just that competition just, is, it pushes, it always does. It's that evolutionary trigger.
1: Yeah. And it's good for the sport as well.
0: Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, I, I really like this sport. And I like this community. I'd like to see it continue to grow and become more streamlined. And I don't ever think the federations will get less or anything, but I would like mm-hmm. to see like more money in the sport for lifters and, you know, all that. And that'd be great um is there any like anyone in particular uh to kind of go circle back real quick you say when you may be open to coaching like you have any like people that you kind of are eyeing oh yeah for sure um actually the reason why I started thinking
1: about it is I was on uh, Garrett Fears uh live uh is, is on his Instagram live the other night and I just you know and I often go in there either leave a joke or something um or uh actually because he's a He's a really intelligent dude. Yeah, Garrett's, and, he's, he, really and he's and the thing the thing I like about him is how brutally honest he is. So I'm going to go into his live, or I'm going to talk to him, or something, and he's either going to say something that's going to entertain me, or something that is going to enlighten me. So one, this is a plug for Garrett. If you guys don't follow him, follow him um and check him out. But. I think I made, I initially started with a joke, but then he was just on a tear of answering a bunch of questions at once. And then I'm like, oh, I'm going to pepper this one in. So I asked him, uh, I'm looking, it's like I'm thinking about getting coaching after raw Nats. any suggestions, and he just pointed straight at himself. And he kind of got into a mini rant about me of what he sees with me. And he's like, he, was saying a lot of things I said earlier, and he was actually want to put the idea in my head. He's like, "You need more people to, you need more eyes on you. Like you got potential. It's like, but you've been doing the same thing for three years. Your total's been going up, but you're making you're making mistakes, and no one's calling you on it because you don't have anyone looking after you. So you don't have anyone looking after you. It's like you need a set of eyes. And he's like, and he's like, he's like, I will be, you know, happy to coach. And I was thinking, like, I know Garrett. Um, I had conversations with him in the past. I've uh, worked out with him a few times, once or or twice I worked out with him. And I I know for a fact he's a young dude, but he's intelligent, understands his leverages, knows programming. But the big thing is he will be brutally, brutally honest with me. And that's a good thing. And he will tell me every single thing I need to work on just by him, just by knowing him for a very short time and talking to him for like 20 to 40 minutes at a time. I know he would do that.
0: Oh yeah, I, I met him um, once. Also, oh, and okay. also
1: another guy, Joe Sullivan. Um, he'll be a terrific guy to get coaching from. Those two guys, I was always kind of interested in getting coaching from. But um, I, I, I might, uh, I might inquire with uh, Garrett and him after Ron Anriles.
0: That would be cool. And, yeah, I'm both and both of them are great. I got to meet Garrett once, and and then um, I I train with Scott Miller now, who he used to train with, and he's still buddies with. And, um, yeah, he's a, he's a cool guy. Uh, like yeah. one time I met him. Yeah,
1: and, there. I, and I, and again, really like him because he's brutally honest and he will yeah. tell it to me straight. <laughs> and most coaches will, but I just, it's one of those things too, that I just had
0: conversations with him. Yeah. And also, I mean, and from following you and then obviously listening to your show, like you also are very brutally honest. <laughs> yeah, you're, okay. you're always, uh, you know, you have that, um, you know, just that. Very direct, and uh, and I appreciate that out of Garrett too. And Joe is because like they all have really big hearts, like they're very kind people, but they're very brutally honest. And they're gonna tell you if you're acting like a cunt, but at the same time, they're like, You can do better, but you're acting like a cunt. We're not gonna hold yeah. it against you, but you're acting like a cunt. Like, like just do better. And yeah,
1: the, yeah, yeah. If I could share a story about Garrett, um, <laughs> he, he will like so. Yeah, again, we're just, like, kind of talking for the very first time that I've, like, kind of met him or, like, and kind of, like, you know, just being around the group. And he immediately acknowledged the fact that I have a speech impediment, (laughs) like, immediately. So then I looked, and I'm, like, all right, so of everyone here, he was the only guy to do it. And people do, like, hear it when they hear me talk. They hear a little speech impediment going, he was the only one to actually acknowledge it. And I'm, like, I'm, like wicked straight shooter yeah
2: <laughs> a lot of people
1: are kind of like i'm not gonna bring it up that because there's certain words that i say that you can't understand and then i think his response
3: is like dude are you intentionally doing that right now I'm like yeah and he's like saying those words that way I'm like yeah
2: man i'm like i'm like it's not intentional it's a speech impediment he's like oh okay yeah and i'm like that's
1: that's that's what you need in a good coach. Someone to call you on some stuff that you're insecure about. And powerlifters are super insecure about their form because they think that their programming is superior, their technique is superior. My coach is going to get very upset at using this word "him," but superior as in they think that what they're doing is the perfect thing to do. And I think a lot of people are self-conscious about that. And occasionally you need the coach to say, "Dude, you're fucking up everything right now." It's like you're uneven, you have a hip shift, it's like your arm's all over the place, like you're not generating any power. I need that from people. And that's a big reason why I changed gyms, because Brickhouse is a great gym, don't get me wrong, but it was a lot of people just constantly nut-hugging me, and it was getting a little annoying,
3: Yeah.
1: where I'm like, I can't be the best right now, because there's, from 2018 stats, there's 12 people actually better than me. Not just yeah. one, 12. So the fact you're saying I'm, you know, the, the, the strongest guy you've ever seen, yada, 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 it's like, it's very nice and I appreciate it, but I'm not going to improve by you guys constantly nut-hugging me. Yeah. So I go to Surge and they have people who are like, oh, you got a little bit of a weird hitch on your uh, squat or like a weird hip ship. Or it's like your bench, it's like one of your arms is a little bit uneven and your feet are uneven on your placement. It's like, that's what I need. Now, you're not my coach, you're not going to give me every single detail and I analyze all that stuff but i could get a coach and they will you know kind of make that next progression for me
0: yeah and it's just that atmosphere too like i mean obviously sergio he's a great you know he was great and then doesn't uh daniel i, I always fuck up his last name me too
1: uh he doesn't train there regularly but i
0: see he's there sometimes though he's there sometimes and uh, mostly at yeah
1: he'll come and surge. he trains mostly at rockwell but yeah he's a terrific lifter and just be yeah, and again being because the little just is trained there too the are you know yeah. some of the best powerlifters in the world. Yeah. And uh, Daniel's also one of the best in the world as well. Um, but, yeah, you're going to be surrounded by better powerlifters.
3: Yeah.
1: And, and at BrickHouse, it, just, it was kind of a new gym, and there wasn't a ton of powerlifters. And there are, there are great powerlifters. and very close friends of mine who are terrific powerlifters go there. It's just we're, we were all actually kind of at the same level at BrickHouse.
3: Yeah.
1: All, like, two or three years into the sport – getting good at it but looking for that extra progression so yeah. like i can't help them out as much as you know they can help me out too right yeah so we're all looking for that extra head.
0: yeah and and i think Surge has that Surge has that like yeah. it, it's you know in a brick warehouse in the middle of nowhere and like uh-huh. a, you know in that industrial center like yeah we do work here it's like that's cool yeah Well, yeah,
1: Brickhouse, I mean, uh, Surge, it creates that cool, like, kind of environment where it's super, super welcoming of everyone. Oh, yeah. They will will get anyone into the gym and work with them and be very friendly with them because it's it's not like Westside Barbell. No. And it's a good thing it's not like Westside Barbell because everyone always says, dude, wouldn't it be so sick to train there? I'm like, no. Why the fuck would it be good to train there? I understand that they can make you better, but at the same time, like, there's levels to this shit, and I'm just not going to be at that level as of yet. So I'm like, Serge is a good gym because they will push you and there will be a good positive atmosphere there. But at the same time, they will call you on your bullshit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which is really cool. And um, I got a lot of help uh, just from Sergio. Like I remember like he about staying tight at the bottom of the hole and getting a little bit better at bracing. I had two really good like little mini breakthroughs in each of those just from him, which was really cool. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, He's one of my favorite people. Yeah, yeah, him and then his girlfriend—I forget her name. She was super sweet too. Jackie. Also, Jackie, thank you. Um, Jackie, 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 thank you. Yeah. Um. But yeah, which is great. Well, I'm, I'm really looking forward to October because I mean, again, I've been following you now since I started powerlifting, so it'd be really cool and watch that circulate. Um. Uh, are you going to watch any of the, um, of the current like XPC tomorrow?
1: Wait, is it XBC or USPA Nationals?
0: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's US... It's... Okay. Yeah, USPA Nationals.
1: All right, so here... So I have the podcast and I have two white lights, but I'm fucking terrible about keeping up to date on things.
3: Yeah. I'm, I'm a, I'm a person who kind of just, like, spews their thoughts on air,
1: but, like, I don't know how much I should cover of the sport, and I should. <laughs> I should definitely cover the sport, but now the focus is kind of um, getting interviews on the show and all that kind of stuff, but... I don't watch live streams, Okay. and it's going to sound like a dick thing, but I, I don't find powerlifting to be the most riveting thing to watch on my laptop. Um, I'm a big sports fan. You know, the Cubs are on. I'll watch the Cubs. I'll watch Juventus. I'll watch the Bears. I'm entertained by those things. If I'm not at the meet, I'm not really entertained by the whole thing.
2: Yeah, that's, um, that's and fair. if I don't know the people competing, I just don't have the thing that I,
1: you know, have have like a like a connection to it. Yeah. You, so I don't really ever watch live streams, even IPF worlds where I was genuinely interested in some of the people competing because they are could be my you know competition. Um,
2: I would just watch the highlights. Yeah. And I think King of the
1: Lifts, USPA, like there's a bunch of media outlets that are kind because of, shit. I'm a big baseball fan. I'm not watching any baseball games.
3: Oh fuck no. I'm
1: not watching any soccer games. I'm gonna watch. Sports Center, yeah, yeah. I'll get to, I'll get the best bits of it. That's why Sports Center, actually, Sports Center kind of fell off, but because they don't show fucking highlights anymore. But that's a different rant. I might do it on my own. But
2: uh, <laughs>
1: I'll watch it on, you know, King of the Lifts or something. Where if there's a great lift going on, I'll watch it from there. I'm not going to really watch the live stream. The only live stream I watched was the U S open between the battle between Mariana and Steffi.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was really exciting. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I bring it up just cause, um, my training partner, um, he's going to be, he's, he's in our, our weight class. He's 83 and he's going to be, he's going to be there tomorrow morning. Uh, so I was going to say, if you were watching you can work out for him. If you're not, it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, I understand, I, and I, was, I know that's been one of the big things, like in terms of critique of piloting as a sport, is it's not riveting unless you have that connection to them, yeah. or to, or you're there. When you're there, it's great because there's always something going on to watch. It's like a, I think it's like hockey. Like I'm a big hockey fan, but I think unless you've been to a hockey game and enjoyed it live, watching it on TV does nothing for you unless you've seen it live first.
1: Yeah, I mean, I like, same thing for me with hockey is actually I, I find the show I find the Sport to be outrageously riveting.
3: Yeah, hockey, I love hockey. It's, in my opinion,
1: probably the only reason why it's not my favorite sport is I never played it once. But it is a really entertaining thing to watch,
2: and I can appreciate that. Just powerlifting is hard to do. It just, it's, it's
0: not a spectator-friendly sport. Yeah, and I and I think actually Steffi had brought it up in an interview once about um, that they should change how flights work and kind of how her and Mariana were going head to head. That's how actually flights should be set up. Yeah, where you can you have the people going head to head and you set up the flights that way instead of the usual, you know, going through the attempts kind of a thing.
2: But, yeah, and also on two white lights I discussed this many times
1: where you have almost like a wrestling event where it's like three or four people, it's a deadlift off. You have to it's like it's not it's not attempts really, it's who could deadlift the most. Yeah. And that people in similar weight classes do that that'll be a badass kind of thing or just a very exclusive invite only meet. I like those ideas too to kind of help like the flights, the length of the day, make it an hour, two hours, that kind of stuff. Make it one. Yeah, Probably deadlift because that's the most entertaining of all the lifts. But
0: yeah, um, image is true.
1: Yeah. I think, I think that'll be a really cool idea too. Yeah, but, I mean, there's, there's different ways, but if you're going to do on the straight competitor aspect, then the way we have it is probably the best.
0: Yeah. It's just a matter of getting it you know, in there, but, um, yeah, sure. so I know I've, I've, I've kept you see for, for a while. Um, but, um, yeah, before, you know, before we like wrap up everything, what is, uh, cause I always like the past couple of people I've interviewed, I like them to kind of leave like a lifting technique, uh-huh. um, piece of advice and then like a training strategy or like something that has to do with how they you know, train piece of advice. So for, like, that new lifter lift listening, so, like, one piece of technique advice, one piece of, like, training strategy advice that so they can, like, take and apply, like, um, from from you.
1: For sure. And um, I think the cue that's helped me the most and helped other people the most because I think I've gotten more people saying, wow, this tip really helped me a lot more than everything else that I've said. Um, even today when I was on an Instagram, um, keeping your belt in your back pocket while you deadlift. When you set up that way, keep your delts in your back pocket, that means you're flexing your delts, almost pinching them together to in line with your two ass cheeks, and then you're kind of pushing your chest out because of that. That will help you stay upright during the deadlift, and that will minimize back rounding, which is a big reason why people don't lock out their deadlift or get the weight past their knees because they have it rounded back. So if you find a way to stay upright the entire time, your deadlift will improve, That piece of advice that I've given people that I've kind of took from Ed Cohen has helped so many different people and helped me to, that that has been probably the best uh, cue that I have for people. Um, And it's very similar for bench. If you kind of pinch your delts together while you bench, it will help you with your leg drive and also will help you stabilize on the bench as well so keeping your delts in back pocket pitching them together probably my best cue and for the training tip very very simple be consistent every program that you got from a coach or you see online works they all work they're all scientifically proven the only time they don't work is when they're not consistently ran or effectively if you're not consistent you're not going to get good results. And I was bringing this up, Shane Nutt, a uh, person I interviewed on the show, he coaches people, and he sees complaints a lot with people who get coaching and don't see the results, but it's like you didn't put the work that we wanted you to. You're expecting this program that create for you to be this magical kind of thing that will get you to total that you want, but you're not consistent with anything. And if you're not consistent with it, you're not going to get the same results. So consistency it's key. It's a cliche, but... The reason why it's a cliche is because it
0: true. Yeah, most definitely. And then, um, the kind of w- one, one final thing. Um, uh, I had a guy text me, um, through the, through the show and he's a younger, he's a younger kid. He's only like 17 or 18. And he asked, he was pretty blunt. He said, you know, how do I get over? He's like, I'm, I'm embarrassed. The fact that I don't, you know, about the weights I use in the gym, how do I not be embarrassed? Um, And I thought maybe that would be kind of a good question for you to kind of, I guess, you know, start to lead off with.
1: Well, yeah, you got to walk before you, you got to learn to crawl before you walk and walk before you run.
3: Yeah.
1: So there's no reason to be embarrassed if you just get into the gym and you can't lift a lot of weights. Um, Actually, you know what's interesting? If you go to a powerlifting gym, you won't be as embarrassed. I think it's when you go to a commercial gym, it's you see, like, a lot of peacocking going on. You see a lot of people who are really, really trying their hardest to impress everyone around them, and that could somewhat be intimidating or just kind of a negative atmosphere. If you go to a powerlifting gym and you have, like, plates or a plate on your deadlift,
0: people will still be like, all right, let's go. Let's go get it. Yeah. No one cares. Let's get it's, the weight up. Yeah, they're just happy to see you do it. And I agree. I think it's just the atmosphere because if you're there to, like, work and you're trying hard, even if it's just the bar, but that, you know, if, you know, maybe you came back from surgery and the bar is the most you can do, everybody's happy for you. And it's just yeah. – that's the energy. Yeah, and, if you're, and again, 17, 18 years old, nothing to be embarrassed about at that age.
1: I think I was the same – I was super, super intimidated at the weight room when I was 15 where – because, again, Lamont High School, really being in the weight lift we were lifting with the 18 year old kids and they were just animals.
3: Yeah. And I
1: saw, yeah. you know, the first time I saw a barbell or a barbell bent was when I first went to a weight room and I was like, what the
2: hell is happening right now? There's no way I could, there's no conceivable
3: way that I will lift this weight ever in my life. Yeah. And sure it, enough. eventually you get there as long as, you well, again, you remain
1: consistent with everything. It will come. This is the great thing about the sport is will you be the best in the world or an elite class? Maybe, maybe not, but you will be stronger than your average can. Yeah. yeah. And that alone is really, really, really good progress that 90% of the entire world can't do.
0: Yeah, and I think that's kind of what makes this sport pretty special, is that what is your warm-up to you is somebody's, like, all-time, you know, mind-blower to somebody else, which is... Uh, pretty awesome. Um, uh, so, yeah, I know I've taken up a good part, portion of the evening, but is there anything you like to uh, leave off or plug for, obviously, Two White Lights or anything else going on for yourself? Please, you know, by all means. For sure. If you guys don't already follow, follow F14O
1: Power. We do a lot of updates on two White Lights as well. Um, yeah, follow these powerlifting podcasts. They're good. They're really good. Listen to this one. Listen to mine. Listen to all the other ones out there. We're... You guys want knowledge? We share knowledge. We share experiences. I talk shit. I try to share knowledge. We all try to do the same thing. I try to entertain too. So follow Two White Lights, uh, follow 140 Power, 140 underscore power, and then every power podcast, in this one, listen, give a follow, ask questions, we'll answer them.
0: Yeah, it's 100% actually. And Tim from Ritual, the Ritual podcast was my first guest. He said the same thing. He's like, if anyone ever asks me a question, he's like, I right, I will answer. You take the time, yeah. I'll take the time to answer. And a lot of our guests will answer the question too. Um,
1: yeah, because people always want answers, but they want it so quickly. And just in like, because I mean, I get DMs. I mean, big reason why I started the podcast was for this reason. I know. Well, I got my start in radio with my girlfriend, just doing a show, and then. But we noticed that a lot of conversations I had with people, random people, were about powerlifting.
3: Yeah.
1: It's like, why not make a podcast about it? I started the Instagram page. I got a ton of questions. Like, I can't answer all these questions in great detail. I could do it on the podcast. Yeah. Um, we also do a blog as well on Two White Lights, so we are also writers. Top of that, so go on Two White Lights website. That's two the letter two white lights you get the podcast. Subscribe on Spotify. You get the information. I answer pretty much every single question I get. Yeah, yeah, you do. And then, some, and, then and then, if we're not answering
2: questions, we're talking shit. So,
0: which is always entertaining, and um, it's been good for me. Like I've learned a lot from watching and listening to you guys. Um, you know, just the podcast itself, uh, your podcast, Tim's podcast, the Ritual podcast, and then the Beyond the Platform podcast. Mm-hmm. Kind of my, are my three favorites and what really made me want to do just kind of do my own little niche of it and um so yeah you know i appreciate you guys kind of doing that and it's been really good for me and uh, it's opened a lot of doors you know and so that's been really cool so just know that that's a really good byproduct of your work and so that's been awesome appreciate it appreciate you and all the work you do as well man. thanks man i really appreciate i think thank you and if you ever get out to cali she- come and lift that'd be awesome what part of Cal are you in? I live in Ventura. So it's a little beach town right above. So it was like L.A., Malibu, and then Ventura. So we're on the beach right above Malibu. All right, sweet. Yeah, I live in San Jose for a brief stint. So Okay, so Bay Area, like mid-central. Yeah. Yeah, North yeah. NorCal or Bay Area kind of Middle stuff. Bay Area. I
1: yep. Yeah, I'm, I didn't travel that far south until I went
0: to a Dodger game. Yep. Yeah, I'm probably 50-some miles from Dodger Stadium, 60 miles from Dodger Stadium, something like that. So. All right, wait, man. Yeah, for sure. If I'm ever in California, I'll definitely give you a visit. Yep. Yeah, and I and I love I like Chicago, and I really like lifting there. So if I ever get a, any excuse to come back out of there again, I'll hit you up. So sounds good, man. All right, man. Well, thanks again, and I look forward to the next show, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. I'm sure. All right. Thanks for having me. Peace. All right. Bye. Peace. Bye. All right. Well, that is Angelo Fortino. 140 underscore power, 140 power on Instagram. One of the hosts of Two White Lights it was one of the best podcasts for powerlifting and honestly lifting in general. Uh, really great guy, very informative, um, you know, strong and uh, articulate and how you know how he is with things. And it's super fun. So I hope you guys pick something up from that. I really enjoyed having him on. Give his show a follow. Give him a follow. And like he said, follow the other podcasts, the Ritual Podcast, Beyond the Platform, um, The Two White Lights, there's King of the Lifts, The Iron Minds, all those. Of the, it's true. They give out free information. And you can learn a lot from people and learn a lot of you know about a lot of good resources from there. And and what he said for his tips about keeping your delts in your back pocket, keeping your lats in your upper back strong in your lifting, uh, you really learning to use your legs, not your back. Um, also as you get better with bracing, that helps with that power transfer and then staying consistent, you know, stay consistent and know that finding, just find a program that works. Like he said, he's been running that PhD program for, you know, good many, you know, few years now, and it's been, you know, still paying off, even though he's maybe in the market for a new coach, shout out for Garrett fear and Joe Sullivan eventually, You know, it's still which is which is good because you eventually you evolve and you move on. But it's a great thing. Um, So I appreciate having him on. Thank you guys for tuning in to episode four of the Nerds Who Live podcast. Thanks again to our sponsors, Viking Performance Chalk and Calvary Illustrations. And thank you guys for listening and tuning in. Uh, Thank you to all the guests that have been reaching out. Um, Yeah, it's been really awesome. I love doing these shows. So we'll keep it going for you guys. So until next time, thank you for tuning in to the Nerds Who Live podcast.